Oprah. You know Oprah, right? Yes, that Oprah named this woman's earrings one of her favorite things. But there was a lot that led up to that. What a great story today. Just listen. So in the beginning, we made everything. And we learned how just to silk knot between beads. We taught ourselves everything. What is the sound of one man listening? This is Man Listening, a fresh podcast featuring the stories of strong women who bounce back. Man Listening, because every woman deserves to be heard. Hey there, I'm Stuart Watson, and welcome to Man Listening. When I talked to my buddy, Whit Mulford, and he began describing what his amazing wife does for a living, I was like, I have to talk to this woman. And so I never knew Cat Weeks, never knew of her. And when I stumble on these things, like that her father was my cardiologist, (laughs) that, that she produced a pair of earrings, which were named one of Oprah's favorite things, that she has this amazing entrepreneurial and creative and artistic spirit. I was like, holy cow, this is all like something I just sort of stumbled on. Um, great story. You're really going to enjoy this, and you can get a lot out of it, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, or an artist or a creative or whatever. It's just really a fascinating story. Cat Weeks. Where were you born? Washington, D.C. Hospital or home? Hospital. Walter Reed. Army Hospital. So, father in the military? Mm-hmm. He was a, um, an Army doctor. And, uh. yeah. And for your mother, your number, what of how many? Oldest favorite of three. Were you really the favorite? <laughs> no, no. My younger Would brother's they a favorite. say you're the favorite? They say they raised three only children. You know, like they treated each of us. The little baby brother was the favorite. And now he's a doctor. He's Kenneth Durham Weeks the third. Like he's, he's the fave. Um, your father is Ken Weeks? Yeah. yeah. He was my Weeks. cardiologist. Shut up. I adored him. Yeah. yeah. You, you know dad. why? He paid attention to He's me. The, the kindest, like, nicest. I man. had no idea. Mm-hmm. He's like epic. Mm-hmm. He has the best stories, but he was a, um Army doctor, went to uh, Duke Medical School. David's an undergrad. Was he in Vietnam? No. And so he, he avoided all that by going to med school. And his dad was a physician, so he kind of knew he wanted to be a doctor, but was ROTC at Davidson, went to Duke, um, did went to Walter Reed, and just kind of rose quickly in the ranks as a cardiologist and just, you know, um, a specialist. And he was asked to be Ronald Reagan's, like, primary doctor, like, um, travel with them, go on the plane, do everything. I guess um, Reagan maybe had heart issues. I, I don't really know. Do you ever speak to him about the jelly beans? My dad, no. You know Reagan had the big oh, yeah. thing of jelly beans. The yeah. It was just mainlining well, sugar so all the time. Dad, dad said no. And all, all us kids, when we hear these stories, you know how the, your parents tell you stories that are passed down. We hear it all the time. We're like, wow, could you say no? Dad was like, I didn't want to have one patient for my whole career. I mean, he would have eventually probably changed jobs and gone from, but 
isn't that, and he said no. And so then we moved to Augusta, Georgia. He was at um, Fort Gordon in Augusta, Georgia. And then we moved to Charlotte when I was in fourth grade. And then he went into private practice. Did you As ever, you know. <laughs> did you ever meet Reagan? Yeah. But you've seen pictures of your dad with mm -hmm. him? Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's like a political thing, too, because everybody's like, you know. Yeah. Especially, we, we could do a whole thing about that because with the Alzheimer's and how early people yep. really knew about the Alzheimer's and that kind of thing. Yep. Not about your father, not about a man. Yeah. It's about you. Yeah. Migrate back to cat. <laughs> I'll talk about my dad all day. Yeah. I well, love him. I would too. <clears throat> I was, I, and I have not always liked my doctors. Yeah. I've been very contentious and he would, he's just very kind. Yeah. He's a very kind. He's a good a, listener. He's, he really, <clears throat> I think that's the biggest thing that he, um, misses is, is helping people and being needed and, you know, since he's now somewhat retired. but So were you the daddy's girl, the mama's girl? Or the did, Were you close with your mom? Super close. Yeah. Had dinner with both of them last night. What what was what was she like growing up? What what kind of mom? She, you know, I was thinking about it just last week. Like, she worked. She was a, um, she had, dad was so supportive of her. She was, you know, busy stay-at-home mom, but she also had an antique store up in the mountains, and she would go travel to Europe, travel everywhere, do antique buying trips. She had a partner. They'd, you know, ship it all back, and um, they bought, she and my dad bought a building up in the mountains and called, I think the name of the store was Family Heirlooms, and they sold antiques. Yes, I think that's probably where I get some of my love of design and interiors, but um, she was always busy. She played, like, she and my sister played tennis. They were mother-daughter state champs in tennis, and she did carpool, and she had a, um, a store, and she was, she was tough, but she was just always, I don't know, she, she was inspiring, you know? She just, she was kind of like the mom who you'd come home and be like, oh, I came in second. Who came in first, you know? Whereas my dad was like, you came in second, you know? <laughs> Which I love. I think I'm probably that kind of mom as well. But Now, um, being a doctor, did he show up for the events? Yeah. He did. Yeah, I mean, not always. I mean, she? he was on call. I, like, um, she showed up. She was always at every event. I remember... Christmas, dad was on call, and so we all had to wait, you know, when you're younger and you have to open, you know, you, you get right out of bed and you want to open the presents. We had to wait for my dad to get home from being on call till like 10 in the morning on Santa on Christmas morning. And, um, but he, it was important for him to be there. So we always, you know, we waited for him. And, but I never remember him not being there or making an effort or having like a hole where he didn't show up. And his dad, I would say was the type of, he was like a um, small town doctor mm -hmm. in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. And his dad dropped everything and did house calls and really put his career and his family practice first. And maybe his family came second. And I think mm -hmm. my dad saw that and was like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Yeah. So there was a nice, he had, he had, I think he had a good balance. So as a two-year-old, little cat was, your natural personality was what? Microphone, 
Annie, you know, showbiz, <laughs> reciting, um, Sleeping Beauty, you know. The yeah. performer. Yes. Performative. Yes. Did that follow you into high school? Did you, were you no, in drama then, club? Were you? Um, no, I think what happened was I probably wanted to be, but then I became, you know, high school, you become more self-conscious and your friends are like, what are you, you know, um, I think I got, I got into art. And so I was always like with theater and stuff, I was more kind of set design and background and wanted to be a part of productions, but I didn't want to be on stage. The chatty and the show-offy thing has never quite left. <laughs> maybe it's not show-offy, maybe it's more showbiz. <laughs> well, that can work to your benefit. Yeah. It can absolutely work to <clears throat> your benefit in so many different ways. Right. Not to be so yeah. shy and retiring. Yeah. Where did you go to high school? Country Day. Okay. You said creative or design, but, and this is something that I really want to learn from you. Yeah. Um, the distinction between that and when it, art, like what was your art? It wasn't just painting sets. What was your, what's... Medium, you yeah, mean? Yeah, correct. You know, it's been a long road of creating things. And I would say from, you know, middle school, I was more interested in like music and fine art and drawing and illustrating than I was schoolwork, you know? And and it was like a hobby, but it came easy, easily and, nat and naturally. And so like I would make like mixtape covers and I would do, you know, without even knowing what I was doing, I would be cutting paper and doing collages and models of cool Keith Haring, like, you know, in the eighties, you know, that came easy. And I was always kind of recognized in high school for like the artistic side of things. And I went to Davidson and I was an art history major because again, that was easy. You know, I probably should have been a studio major, but that didn't seem academic enough or something to me at the time. In studio, do you pick a, a medium and then you, you it's performative. You yes. create, you actually, you paint. Yes. Or you sculpt or Yes, whatever. exactly. Um, printmaking, painting, I mean, now everything's changed, but at the time, Davidson was like, you know, pretty strict about what you were, you know, in, if you were going to be a studio major in fine art, you would definitely be sculpture, painting, drawing. Um, Nowadays, I bet you can do straight up digital. You can. So that's, so that, you know, looking back, I, who knows what would have happened. And I have never, I mean, Davidson was amazing, but I graduated with an art history degree, kind of not knowing what I was going to do, but I had um, my grandfather and my dad's dad, the one who was the family practitioner, he, uh, one year at Davidson, I asked for, I had taken a, a summer course at UNCC for, it was called Computer Assisted Art. It was like early graphic design. And I spent the summer, you know, because I knew I was into design and art, but I just didn't know much about that world. Well, you're a ton younger than me. So what did that look like? Was this the big CRTs? Was it like the it, big boxy okay, well, desktop? So, so, so I had, when I was in like eighth or ninth grade, my parents bought an Apple IIe, which is, you know, the old computer that, and, and truly we would hit save and wake up the next morning and it would almost be finished, like saving whatever I, two, I drew. The, the 20 megabytes or the, oh my God, yeah. that file is 
yeah, five it, megabytes. Exactly. If it didn't crash, <laughs> it would have said. And you know, forget about printing. And so that was super frustrating. Then I went to college, and there was all the word processing, and email was just coming out. This is totally um, dating, <laughs> dating it. So one one summer, you know, I took that course, and it was like. True. I remember asking, nobody will probably understand this, but I remember asking the professor, like, what's the difference between why would I choose Illustrator over Photoshop? Like, what's the difference in, like, working these two programs? And she had to, like, come back to me in a few days after doing research, and she was like, okay, Illustrator is vector-based. Photoshop is pixel-based, which is, like, it's, like, Illustrator's very much, now Now Illustrator's changed even more. You can do some pixel stuff in there. That's like an Illust Adobe product, right? Yeah, yeah, it's in the, yeah. And um, so Illustrator's more like lines and drawings and the way that you make marks on the computer have, has little anchor points. Whereas Photoshop is very much like pixels on um, on your screen, which are little squares that add up. And dots, anyway, dots. Dots, yeah. Um, but I mean, now, Everybody knows that. I mean, it's so common, but at the time, I mean, even the professor teaching the course had to go home and be like, now I have a student asking me. That's how Were your basic. kids like, mom? Yeah, I mean, now, well, no, I took this, I took this course during college. This no, was, but I mean, now when you tell your kids this. Oh, my kids, I pulled out, um, I was cleaning out the attic, and I pulled out this huge kind of suitcase of um, cassette tapes. <laughs> and I had a Sony Walkman. Remember one of those yellow sports Walkmans that yeah, was like the cutting hottest edge. thing? And I pulled it out. And I'm sure one of my kids is super into music. And that's how I was like showing him like, look at this. And like, I decorated this. And look at this. This is like art. This tape. It's got all the names, the songs, everything. And, you know, and I was like, and it plays in this thing. You can put it in your ear and you can run. It goes in water, you know. And he's like, he's like, that's cool. That's cool. He's like, no, now, what do you call these again? I'm like, they're tapes. <laughs> like, was he being straight with you? Yeah, he was like, oh, wait, what do you call tapes? I'm like, I cannot believe that. I mean, they probably don't even know what, what CDs are. I mean, uh, anyway. Oh, my word. But anyway, so I did that course that summer at UNCC in the middle of Davidson and fell in love with, um, you know, digital media, digital art, kind of. It, and it felt like it was a way to have a career too, you know, without having like a strict fine art background. So I took more classes, you know, while I was at Davidson. Um, and then my grandfather gave me a huge computer and it was a 21 inch screen, 21 inch monitor, which you had to have if you wanted to be a graphic designer, you know, at the time. And I just would sit there and make things like, books or illustrator news. I don't even know what I was doing. I was just kind of creating and do you know, and I would do flyers for our um, organizations at Davidson or I would do invitation, anything anybody asked me to do. I was like, oh, I can do that, you know, and that kind of was how I learned. And then I, after I graduated from Davidson, I went straight back to design school. So I went to a school in Atlanta called, it was called the Portfolio Center. Now it's like the Miami ad school or something like much that. more sort of trade oriented yes. like how to apply exactly art. and and coming from davidson i remember thinking i want to go to scad or risd for a design degree but none of those places would take me because i was applying for a graduate i wanted like more of a graduate degree 
I didn't want to go back. You didn't have like a portfolio. Nothing. To give them. I had stuff that I had made at summers, summer classes. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, a lot of those schools said you can come take some classes and maybe we'll, I just didn't have kind of the right, right background. So this trade, this portfolio center was the perfect place because it was two years. It was taught by actual people in the industry, creative directors, art directors, writers, illustrators, entrepreneurs, and they came in and they, they taught you about typography. They taught you about, um, you know, and then, then there were software classes at the same time. And what, where I'm, going to try to learn from you, to go to school on you, is the distinction between, and there's no, there's no shame on either yeah. side, between art, which could be sold or not, right, and creative entrepreneurship, right, like very, like, Something is that is to be sold, mm-hmm. but but it is created in an artistic way. So it seems to me the school you went to, like the artists might say, you sold out, man. Right. You sold out your vision to work for the man, yep. the capitalist. And where's your more pragmatic father and grandfather might say, hey, She's yep. going to have money. She can eat. It was all about getting a job. Right. I mean, that's what going back to school, I mean, it was all about like, I've got to graduate. I can't do any more school after these six years. I've got to get a job. And sure enough, I got a job right after that. What was um, it? So I, it was um, web design. So mm. I did web design for a company called Sapient. So for, you were a worker bee for this big. Yeah. So yeah. I did like, um, and, and I, this two years was so valuable. I learned so much. Like I did systems design. So mm-hmm. I did, you know, I made style guides for how you would, you know, we, we would design a website and then we would make a guide for how, you know, a design team in-house would add a new page to their website or how the logo should be used when it's online. You know, so it was really thinking about how to scale design across um, a big company while keeping, you know, maintaining the brand. And it's straight up workflow. It's, yeah. It's not having to reinvent the wheel every time you do something like this. Exactly. It's learning as you go. It's right. making notes of, and then we wasted a lot of time doing this. Don't do that again. Yep. Well, and it's so interesting now because, you know, at Modern Matter, our company now, I we're doing the same thing. We're we're re, we're kind of rebranding. We changed our name, and so. You know, we're so busy, we hired a company and we're doing the same thing. We're, get, we're asking for a style guide where we can kind of like take our brand into packaging and um, custom, you know, customer experience, user experience across the board, whether it's op- un- an unboxing or going to the website or seeing us on social, it should all be a cohesive brand experience. Mm. How'd you get that first job? So yeah, I mean, a lot of the professors at the time at Portfolio Center had jobs in kind of the industry and this was in Atlanta. And so you would, they would kind of know like this person's coming out and wants to do web design. This person's coming out. This person's a great packaging designer. This, you know, so there's kind of a, a buzz. I got a job offer in New York and a job offer in Atlanta. And I just, just remember like, I'm not, I'm not done with Atlanta yet. You know, I didn't want to, I don't know. There's something about like, I wanted my car. 
not a cat. <laughs> you know, like, so I stayed in Atlanta. So and, you're a lot more practical. Yeah. But I was like, how, how am I going to listen to music if I don't have my car driving to work every day? Like, I just couldn't see, I, I couldn't see myself going to New York, and I don't know why, because that's, you know. Much more Southern. Too. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But I so, mean, yeah. it sounds like each decision you made, Davidson and the school and this, it, <clears throat> it ultimately served you. Like each thing was absolutely a learning experience. Like it was almost like a paid internship. You were being oh. paid to like be a sponge yeah. and yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, and and so then I got to Sapient, started that job, um, was there for two years, and. I met my now business partner, Lee Leslie, who was the Addison of Addison Weeks before we changed our name. Um, she was a graphic designer, hired two weeks after me. She started, and we kind of worked on projects together. So we were downtown Atlanta, and they had corporate Fridays at America's Mart, which is like America's Mart's where all everybody goes and buys for like their stores and things like that. Um, like twice a year, they have the gift show, and all downtown Atlanta gets taken over by people with rolling suitcases buying for their, anyway. So they had Corporate Friday and Lee and I would go over and we would buy beads and we would come back, you know, and on the weekends like string beads and make jewelry and we made a website to sell the jewelry and then, because we knew how to make a website, you know, and the jewelry started selling and the business was, you know, was born. So did you have a job after that first one at Sapient or? straight into working for myself. And oh my God. I know. So that means for 20 years? Uh -huh. 20 how many? We started, let's see, yeah, 20 years. Because it was like 2001, 2002, 2002 maybe, that we, we launched um, our first business. And you supported yourself? Yeah. So what, what happened was Sapient was kind of, it, it was when like IXL and all kind of the dot com, all that kind of started crashing down. And this was like 90, no, it was like 2001, 2001, 2002. So they started laying off a lot of people. So, you know, every Friday we would be like, the creative teams are getting laid off, you know, and we'd survive around a layoffs in the next week. So during this whole kind of stressful time, Lee and I were like, let's, have a backup plan like when we get laid off oh my god you were smart i know we're like we, we yeah i mean it I, looking back i'm this i was like 23 24 what was i doing um we were like let's have a backup plan so we would make this website with the jewelry and kind of do all this stuff we got laid off we had like the day we got laid off we got three months severance um paid they paid us back for all our vacation days and we had already had an office we went straight from everybody was like let's go get beer we're like we got to go into the office the internet guys setting up our new office you know we were locked and loaded we were ready and we knew nothing about I mean my mom was like do not go into retail do not. you know we're like what we're gonna make this jewelry and we're gonna yeah well but you didn't have to deal in real estate other than your little office right? I know there was hardly I mean we had three so she's months still severance. thinking bricks and mortar yeah, I mean, she was, we were selling, we were selling jewelry and she knew from being kind of an antiques dealer that like selling, being in sales is tough, whether or not you're making it or, you know, however you're doing it. But um, I don't care if it's Etsy or having your own website, 
um, the internet has right. just like completely revolutionized. Well, that's what she didn't realize at the time was we knew what we were doing because we were web designers. We're like, no, we're going to put this stuff online. But we quickly learned that you can't just make one necklace, take a picture of it, put it online and sell it for $200. You're not, your time is worth more than the effort to put one piece of jewelry up on the website. So we had to figure out how to get enough to make like 10 of that necklace, you know? So we were kind of, um, we learned, I mean. Was that the multiple 10? It wasn't a hundred or a thousand? At that time, I mean, it was all kind of semi-precious beads and we didn't want to carry a lot of inventory. So we would call and order 10 of, you know, a strand of beads and a pendant and then we would, and it just, it just grew, you know, the phone would that start ringing. That's also smart because it creates scarcity and you yeah. can say, you've got 10 of these, better get them. Well, and that was in the very beginning, we would go to flea markets and we would buy old coins mm -hmm. and we would take the old coins and drill a hole in it and string it on a necklace. I, that was one of my favorite designs. And, um, and then we're, we, then we're like, we can't, we're, all the coins are gone. Where do we go find these ancient coins, you know? And so we'd have, so then we're like, okay, well that design needs to be more expensive. And once it's done, it's done. And then, you know, then we started. And then eventually we realized that we didn't want to make this stuff anymore. We needed to go overseas and that brought in more complexity. And did we you're, do the work? You're making this all yourself. This is handmade. Yes. So in the beginning, we made everything, and we learned how to, to silk knot between beads. We learned how to, we, we taught ourselves everything. Lee had done like a jewelry making class in Italy. I had no jewelry experience. I was just, very, I'm still, I'm very crafty, can, can look at something and figure out how to make it. So we made everything, but then quickly we had to turn to the business side of things. We had to update the website, we had to answer phone calls, we had to figure out how to process credit cards. You know, it was like learning everything. We, people, the phone would ring and, you know, a store would be like, um, I love your stuff, a friend sent me your link, do you guys do wholesale? You know, and we're like, do we do wholesale? You know, like trying to figure it out. Um, so, and what was the answer to that? Everything was, yeah, of course we do. Of course we do. You know, we're like, ah, what do we do? You know. What did <laughs> they mean always, by wholesale? Because they could have meant, okay, we need a million units by so Friday. So the problem, exactly. So the problem with that was we were selling, I mean, this is pricing and I mean, this is so long ago, but once wholesale came into the mix and we knew stores wanted to buy our things, you know, they get, they have to, you know, buy at a certain price so they can turn around and mark it up. So then we realized that we need to change all of our pricing so that we built in, you know, the margins for them and then the margins for us. And so this, it was totally learning. There was, you know, um, we didn't have many people to talk to. I remember we had a friend who, who um, set us up with Helen Ballard Weeks, who started Ballard Design. And I'm just so embarrassed remembering she came over. It was the two of us in the office like this with our dogs and everything. And Helen, who had, who did the the Ballard design catalog, came in and gave us advice. And we were like, "How do we just build this so it runs itself?" How you know? She's like, "Uh, girls, never, not ever going to happen." You know, we just didn't even know the right questions to ask. Um, but to answer your question, we eventually got um, we went to a local dry cleaner 
that, you know, that I guess that we took our clothes to and there were all these like sweet ladies back in the back just dripped in sweat at the dry cleaner working. And, you know, we said, do you, do you, does anybody want another job in air conditioning? Come in and help us. You know, I think they were like sewing and ironing and doing all this stuff. And, and so this whole group of like four women that were from Duluth, Georgia, these Korean women came and worked for us. And Suni, Sarah, um, I can't remember. They, and they were part of our family for like, like years. You had me at air conditioning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they were like, we would love that. You know, so they came in every day and just, Dry they were amazing. probably didn't love you. No, they but. didn't. They didn't. But, I mean, they were not, it was not a good situation for them. Yeah. Yeah. So it was better for them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and they and loved so it. They would come and make the things. And that and was And we your... taught them how to do everything. We taught them how to. Were they contract workers? Mm -hmm. They were. Mm -hmm. So they were not employees to begin with. Mm -mm. And they were the fine with that. Mm -hmm. It was great. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So. That was a bit of a scale, but you're still not gangbusters. You don't right. have factories filled with people. So that business was called Turk Jewelry. And that we did, that was like the majority of my 20s. And then my business partner and I, we both got married, started having kids. She, her husband took a job in Virginia. Witt took a job here in Charlotte. And it just kind of, and then 2008 happened. And we were just like, this is too much. We're making all this by hand. We're in different places. It's not as fun. The economy's crash. You know, everything was kind of just pointing to like, let's close it. And so we did like a, a clearance sale, but we still had this massive mailing list. You know, and we kind of took how, it. How massive was massive? I mean, it. It. You know, like Oprah had worn our stuff. We had, we had some great press. I would say like, maybe we had like twenty five to thirty thousand people on a mailing list. Was, wow. Yeah, it was good. Was that email or was that email. mail mail? Email. E email. Yeah, we had like a catalog business. I mean, a little small catalog business. But, you know, we still were just two kind of creative girls doing, uh, just working our butts off. But it's still, there was still a lot, a lot we didn't know and a lot we could do. How many know? hours a week before kids? Before kids, oh my gosh, before kids, it was... Um, Did you take a day off? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, we were in our 20s. We would... I'd be like, I, I'm going to go... I don't, I'm tired. I'm going to go home and take a nap. I'll be back. You know? <laughs> but then we'd be at night, like, yes. making jewelry and all. I mean, it was it was so fun. It was so fun. Um, and then kids, and then it was just the stress of, like, leaving your kids and going into work. But it was so flexible because we were our own bosses, and we didn't take it too seriously. And opportunity was always kind of coming, and it was what we put into it, we got out of it. And then I think once kind of we had to move our families, it just kind of started to dissolve. But then after we closed it, we took a year or two, and I think we really, well, I know I can speak for myself, I missed it. I missed working. I missed being creative. I missed being, you know, an entrepreneur. I missed everything about it. And so um, what I didn't miss was actually like making the jewelry just because that was, um, that was a hard piece of it. The sourcing and the making and everybody was, and, and everybody could copy it. You know, if you're making it at home, jewelry makers could look at your website and make the same thing. And rip you off. Yeah. Um, and I think also our tastes were evolving where we wanted, 
you know, things set in stone or we just didn't want as much trends were changing. And so I called up Lee and I was like, let's, let's do this again. I, you know, I found this guy in India, you know, Ali, that was the other difference. Alibaba happened. So there was, you could source internationally. Now, Alibaba is Chinese or? You know, yeah, I think it's Chinese, but I mean, I was able to somehow, I don't know if it was Alibaba or some, some sourcing website, you know, I started, we actually went to China for sourcing and then we decided we wanted to find somebody in India. Did you physically visit? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what were you looking for when you went there? When we went to China, we took a bunch of our designs and we wanted somebody to, you know, manufacture the designs. We wanted like clasp made with our logo. We wanted, you know, we took a bunch of, um, we had, we had made a lot of jewelry and we just took it everything. We were kind of just sourcing. We were trying to find the and right person. how'd you person. decide who you can trust? Who's not going to just take your designs, rip them off and then just start making them? We went, we traveled, we went to Shanghai and we traveled with, um, kind of a friend of a friend, um, from Richmond who was going over there and he was sourcing something different. So we kind of had a, a, um, someone who knew what he was doing we were going with and his one of his best friends was a professor of gemology at like the university in Shanghai so it kind of we probably should have done again lessons learned we probably should have done more work leading up to what we should have done is instead of going over there to source we should have done the sort like we should have said here are some designs we want to come over here and see how you've executed them so then we could scrutinize them, work on feedback. Instead, we went over there with designs in hand and kind of were shopping for people. And then we made some good connections, but nothing really got off the ground. I think we also, at the same time, were communicating with some vendors in India and the gemstones seemed more quality, more accessible, um, less Are the gemstones from, are they in country? Are they domestic? Are they Indian? They're, yeah, they're, they're from Jaipur and they're all real gemstones. Well, China is so immense, I can't imagine they don't have gemstones. It could just be that, like, you've hooked up. So how did you get in touch with the Indian market? I can't remember. I think, I mean, it was all online. You know, we just, I think we hired somebody to do some research on, these are the designs that we're looking for. This is what it looks like. Find somebody who can do this quality. And, you know, somebody came back to us with like five vendors and we're still using, I mean, this was in 2010. This was like 11 years ago. We're still using two of them today for the jewelry. Wow. Yeah. Now, did you go over there just like you went to China? You did not. Not yet. So you did, you've never been. March. I think I'm going in March. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Next month. Wait, next. March of March, next year. Yeah, March of next year. If, if I don't go in October of this year, there's two fairs that I want to get to. But. In India. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And the fairs. But you know, I don't even know. I, I want to go to India because I want to experience it. I think there's going to be so much more I can learn about the process and, you know, because all of our hardware is made over there. Um, but we have had a two hour, you know, um, call this morning with our manufacturers. And I mean, we talk to them every day, looking at them face to face. I mean, the communication is so easy now. So let me ask my invest, yeah. investigative reporter question, which yeah. is, how do you make sure these aren't 
you know, eight-year-old girls chained to machines. Like, how do you how do you do that? There's so, so much about the subs of subs of yep. subs. How, yep. do you, how do you go about that? So, in the past three years, we have gotten a third business partner, mm-hmm. Rish Malhotra, and he's from India. He's from um, I think he's from Delhi, and so he traveled over there, and he not only did he visit our existing kind of our two biggest existing factories just to kind of make sure everything's going, you know, talk to them, you know, put a face to the name. So you speak the language. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was born and raised there. And then he um, went to William and Mary and married a Virginia girl. So he now lives in Virginia. But, um, but his family still lives in India. So he went over there and not only did he meet with the two factories that we work with, but he found like a few more, which mm. was the goal. And, you know, the, the quality of work we're doing, we, it's got to be a legit operation and it's got to be, they've got to be able to produce our quantities at the, you know, quality that we're expecting. Well, a lot of the collaborators that we work with to design some pieces, because that's part of our business model, we um, have four to five interior designers and we, we're starting to roll in more. Like um, we have an artist that we're talking to and she's a, a, a glass artist. And that was her first question when we met with her. You know, we said, we want to do a collaboration with you. And she said, well, hang on, you know, you manufacture in India. I've heard the worst stories about glass manufacturers in India and children. And, and we're like, we can assure you, no, we would never do that. And we will do our due diligence. But, you know, but it's a definitely, I mean, it's, yeah, would never want to be of something like that so how do you negotiate here's what the market wants i am an unapologetic capitalist and an entrepreneur versus we want it to be beautiful we want it to be something we like and we're right. proud of and also that has our own unique qualities how do you save your soul and uh <laughs> make a make a really good living i remember we used to say like oh, we would never want our brand to be sold in Target, you know, like, and that has quickly changed, but I think it's because Target is like, puts an emphasis on design now, you know, there's a, I mean, we're not in Target, we're not gonna sell to Target. Now what's changed is, you know, I I would love, like, I would love to be able to reach that audience. It's not like about what am I trying to say? Okay, so I think that the good thing about where, you know, and I focus my I focus primarily on the hardware, all the design for the hardware. I'm chief creative officer, like, for this part of the business. And I think that hardware is such a unique industry. It hasn't really, nobody's really revolutionized it. It's the same old showrooms that are selling the same old hardware. And where we are thinking about it, we're pushing it to its limits. So I don't feel constrained really in what's been done before. I feel like, you know, we can make a a knob that looks like a flower because that's cool, you know? So I feel like there's there's a lot. Cool. I can take a lot of Is this brass? Cre- yeah, everything's solid brass. I can take a lot of creative liberty and you know, I've learned so much about this field and what 
people want. And hardware is such a usable, you know, you're touching it every day. Like I don't, I'm not going to make, I'm not going to be too snotty or elite about, you know, the design of it because I want it to be usable. You know, if somebody needs a smaller knob, that's not as ritzy and jazzy as, you know, as, as this, it's because they need to use it in a different way, you know? So it's almost, it's like experience design and Well, there's a lot of art. philosophy about this, about when, particularly in the world of design and aesthetics, about useful is beautiful. Yeah. Like if something is pleasing to the eye and it cuts your hand when you grab it, exactly. then it's not beautiful. Yeah. It has to be both. Yeah. If there's a building that, oh my God, look at that building, and then it collapses. Yeah. Oh my, it's the it's the example of like my house. Like I upholstered something in like the most beautiful cut velvet, and it's already destroyed. I mean, three boys, two dogs, and a cat. Like, <laughs> you know what? Like, it doesn't have to be that. You know, so super high. That's the you know, do not touch school of yeah. art, you know. But you know, I just like what's I also think with what has what helps me is looking to the past and what's been successful in, you know, decorative objects or um, you know, art history, like what 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 holds up over time. I look to um you know, those pieces when we're designing a new collection, like let's not be, let's not follow the trends, you know? I mean, it could be trendy to have natural motifs in your home right now, like a flower or, you know, something like that. But but we're looking at it in, in kind of a different, you know, a different, through a different lens. Also the designers that we work with, the collaborators. So we have like four, four different lines with these designers. They have a very strong point of view. So. One designer lives in Texas and she's um, has a house in San Miguel and she's very influenced by Mayan culture. So a lot of the things that she brings to me that she wants to do is kind of rooted in that, you know, point of view. So it's so cool. Like we'll get to research Mayan temples and just I learned so I mean, it's like all of everything that has happened up until now in my life it is like to this point has informed this point, like my art history background and my graphic design and it's just really fun. This, am I making sense? Like oh, it's really, perfect. it's yeah. really fun to be able, you know. So, so that her collection is, I would say it's, it's, it's useful, but it's also so artistic and creative and clever. Especially with after COVID, you know, everybody wants personalization in their space. They want, they don't want just the board. You know, you, we've been sitting there looking at our kitchen cabinets, like the you know, cubicle. Yeah, they don't want the cubicle. cubicle. They want something that like reflects their personal style. So, you know, we're we're thinking about hardware just in those different ways. And somebody's personal style may not be, you know, a snake from the Mayan, you know, temple (laughs) on their cabinet. But you know, they they may want like you know something super, you know, this surprisingly this little beehive knob. This is one of our designers, Sarah Bartholomew. This was one of the hardest pieces to design because the proportions were like, she was such a perfectionist with the proportions. It was so much harder to design than something like this, which, you know, can be, you know, I the dogwood, which can be- I can see the in it, but it also is abstract. Yeah. But you know, people people buy like 40 of these for their kitchen cabinets. Oh yeah. yeah. So 
it's it's so fun, you know, and it's like technology has helped helped us immensely in this process because now we use 3D printers to print these things and um, see what scale is like. And so you can f kind of feel it in your hand. Oh, yeah. Since this is tactile, this yep. is touch, this yep. is what does it feel like? Yep. What does the knob feel like? Does it does it feel heavy? Does it feel... Does it project too far? If you're in a kitchen, is it going to snag you? Just like you said, is it too sharp? Is it, you know, can you, if you're using it every day, can you get your fingers under there? We had a local designer, Barry Benson. She's a Charlotte designer. She was doing a line for um, Highland House and she said, can you take your, can you take this bracelet, you know, this bracelet that we had designed, can you make a piece of hardware for it? I want to have some like really unique, specific hardware on this credenza I'm designing. So we made, you know, she was like, I just want one piece. And we made like 30, you know, we just had so much fun designing it. And we're like, gosh, we've always wanted to do hardware. This is a great opportunity. We debuted at High Point Market. That was like five years ago. The rest is history. Now our business is 80 80 percent hardware, 20 percent jewelry. So it's really. So you were, ju you, you flipped. Yeah. Before that, it was yep. like the other way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's just such a need for, you know, some, some unique takes on hardware. So in the beginning of the hardware, it definitely was like we were making statement pieces that you know, could be used in, on a vanity or could be used, you know, like on the credenza that she designed. And they were kind of, you know, all kind of the same size. And um, and then we realized we had something cool on our hands. And so then we, you know, I remember we um, went to a trade show, like a kitchen and bath trade show, and we had a whole booth of hardware and a guy from a competing hardware company that competing just basically like they'd been around a hundred years. He came by and he's like, I'm a designer for so-and-so down the road. He's like, y'all are doing what we all wish we could do. You know, like kind of saying like, I'm designing the same old latches, you know, I mean, but, but the thing was, we didn't even know about designing hardware. We weren't hardware designers. We were just being creative with what would you want when you're hard, you know? And so, so now, I think we're trying to learn about, you know, the ins and outs of the hardware world and what's needed and what do people want on their cabinets and what feels good to the hand and what's the standard projection, what what will sell, what, you know, but still keep in mind that like not everything has to be, you know, the way it was done in the past. We can we can put, you know, a cat head on that or a, <laughs> Do you think of yourself as an artist? Absolutely. If you go to a dinner party and you don't know somebody and they say that dreaded American question, what do you do? You know, I think that I'm probably more, I probably would say I have a small business. I think I'm more proud of like being a small business owner than saying I'm a artist or a designer. I think that. And if they say what kind of business? I would say, you know, hardware, hardware business. And then they think like, you know, Toilets. Yeah, yeah, or, or you know, like, yeah. Um, Toilet handles. You know, wafers for microchips or, you know, whatever. <laughs> no, 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 it's like decorative art or it's like gyms, you know. And you you know what, I end up pulling out my phone and showing them a picture. Like, they're like, oh, that's cool, you know. You guys have got to be Instagram city, like Instagrammable. So 
Yeah. So fun. You know, because people are so proud when they buy our hardware, now, they install it. Now, are you Instagram it. or are you Pinterest? Instagram. We do both. Instagram, though, but is... which is the bigger... Instagram. Why is that? Is that... I think people are looking for inspiration, and they can easily do the scroll on Instagram. Well... And they can save, you know... What did you... You must be... I would be a little bit tempted, maybe this is a male thing, to say to the guy who goes, we're designing the same old stuff, who's like, well, there's not a boat anchor on your ass. You can go and design whatever the hell you want. You just got to get out from under the man. Exactly. Yeah. Well, what I didn't say to him was, can you tell me about how you designed that? Because you, know? <laughs> you don't care. Yeah. Nobody yeah. wants another we latch. Desi- yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, because back then, I mean, this was three, four years ago. We didn't, now we have product designers. We have people who like really you know, these 3D models and stuff. But back then, I mean, we would sketch everything and send it to our manufacturer. And, you know, like this was, this flower, this dogwood was just a sketch, you know. And and um, we had great manufacturers in India who could really interpret what we were looking for, you know. And they were making it by hand and making wax models. And now we've just scaled, scaled it up. And What's the difference if two men founded a, jewelry company and two women is like in your view what is the difference I don't know if it's a man or a a woman thing but I think the two of us we both had so much of the same skill set you know like we both were creatives we both had design backgrounds we both which I think gave us the the power to encourage each other and build each other up and see what we wanted to you know, like believe in each other. That's awesome. Oh, that that can be better. That you know, but what we 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 lacked, and we learned along the way. But I think we probably could have used somebody that, and now we have him. He's part of our team, and now that's you know, contributing to our success. But I wish that we had either. I wish that we had had raised some capital earlier on, like in the jewelry business, to be able to hire some smart people to help us with the business part. Um, but that to me was more limiting. It was two people with the same exact skill set than Well what you know. is the business part? What do you mean? Um I think that neither of us were you know, we just learned along the way and I think we probably got dragged down by some things that we didn't know, bookkeeping and um inventory and um projection of inventory and I mean we're great marketers we're great at trade shows we're great designers you know but there's a whole there's a lot more to it than than all that we never really had a business plan um we 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 didn't even know I mean we just everything you know now we actually have a plan and we can forecast we can look out for years you know the next five to seven years but at the time it was basically just like and I, and I think it's also because we were young moms and we were, you know, juggling a lot. Um, I don't think that we, we, we kind of took anything that came at us because we were so excited that we didn't probably prioritize the things that we wanted to be, you know. We were like, oh my gosh, we can do this, we can do that, we can do this, you know, and we wanted it all. And we kind of probably could have been a fitted from somebody kind of saying, okay, guys, hang on, hang on. Let's, let's, let's do it like this, you know, more focus. Yeah. Focus and, um, yeah. But you, if you, if you hadn't been spitballing or throwing things against the wall, 
you might never have really right. stumbled into uh, hardware as opposed to jewelry. Right. I mean, so there's a lot to that, to, to doing more than one thing or not deciding too early that we are only one thing. Absolutely. I don't understand why you rebranded if you've got a brand. Well, so in 2000, um, maybe 17, we were selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. And wow. so, yeah, our jewelry. So these little, not these, but a, a little pair of earrings or little gemstone earrings called the Witten Studs. And she chose us as, as one of her favorite things. And we really were doing a little bit of hardware, but not a lot. Um, and when you saw that, how did you learn that news? So um, we would do, a, um, we would exhibit at Atlanta Market every like January and July or something like that. It was a gift show. It was back to the the same place where Lee and I would go and buy on corporate Fridays, buy those beads, you know. Return into the scene it, of the crime. Exactly. We're like, we know this place. Um, so we would exhibit there and they had press who would walk around. And um, the Oprah people would, Adam Glassman, he's amazing. He's a creative, he was the creative director of um, Oprah Magazine. He would come by and always check in on what we're doing. And we, you know, we're like, Adam, you know, he's like the nicest person. And then, you know, he'd always take samples and they'd put us in the magazine. And then, you know, they started one, um, you know, it was like maybe in August, they started asking us some pretty specific questions. Like, could you um, uh, supply like 25,000 worth of these pairs of earrings if you were asked? You know, like very supply chain type questions. Like, would you be able to get these by this? Um, would, you know, and we're like, yeah, yeah, of course. Answers yes, 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 you know. And um, sure enough, you know, and so then they said, you are in the final running of Oprah's favorite things. What, and I don't even know how she does it now, but at the time, you know, three or four years ago, they did a whole room of products of all the different products they picked. And Oprah comes through and basically, you know, gives the nod to the ones that she wants. And so we were kind of like, we knew that day was happening. So there'll be what five sets of earrings or no 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 no. There'll, I think there was like just our earrings, but there's probably 10, 20 other jewelers in that oh. room. So it's all it's everything from like pound cakes to phone cases. No, but I mean all different kinds of jewelry. They're, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, and you know the they're with the only earrings. Well, so wow. she no, she's going through to pick what's oh, going to be on you. the list. Yeah. So there's a whole room up for scrutiny. But how many ear? Oh, so you're competing against pound cake. Yes. She could pick 12 pairs so, of earrings and zero pound so cake. So at Christmas time every year, Oprah comes out, it's in the magazine. She comes out and it's like five pages in Oprah's magazine of like her top 30 things that she's endorsing this year. And every single one of those things sell out. So if you know that you're getting on Oprah's favorite things list, you're, you're, you're going to have a good year. Okay. So we knew we wanted to be on it. So before, but before they kind of vet you to see if you can supply all the things and then they make, they want to make sure Oprah likes it. So they present every, all like hundred, 200 things they've picked and Oprah comes through and she narrows it down. And then they email you, they emailed us and they're like, you're one of Oprah's favorite things. And so we were like, we just like when we got laid off and started a new job, we didn't even waste time celebrating. We immediately called our vendor and you're like, we, you, you have six weeks. No, but I want you to reenact for me right now when you learned that. Was it a phone call? Was it a text? Was it a... Lee called me and goes, check your email. Check your email. What? 
what? So, you know, I would go up to the dining room table, you know, because it was like, I remember it was like six on a Friday. I'm like, what? And I go get on my email. And it, it's it's an email from um, one of the, the, you know, creative director people at Oprah Magazine. You've been picked. Congratulations. You've been picked. You know, like, ah, you know, like, I mean, super excited, super, you know, but, but. Were you screaming? I was screaming, but I was also like, <laughs> you know, you're like, we got some work to do. We oh my cannot God. F oh this God. up. You know? Oh my God. You know, oh and so God. what came with that were so many amazing opportunities because once you're picked for her favorite things, you're introduced to her vast network of people who want, so we got, so we um, sold our products on Amazon, direct, you know, fulfilled by Amazon. We had to ship, you know, X number of stuff for them to sell. Then they got, they asked us to be on Good Morning America and The View and we sold, you know, product through that and we had all these flash sales and so it was really it was busy but that so you personally would go or you and um so yeah so we were yeah lee and i were on and then they came it was it's we just had an event with good morning america for the oprah's favorite greatest oprah's products uh in november oh my God. so it, Congratulations. It, it, once you're in the family they're such good people they just they keep they keep pulling you in plus we can um supply the the product, you know, I mean, that's the thing is like, they were not going to pick somebody. They're not going to pick our old brand that was hand making things. We couldn't make 30,000 hand strong necklaces, you know, we would have figured it out, but I mean, they wouldn't have. But so then the good thing about Oprah's favorite things was that we got it. We had an infusion of capital that allowed us to jump off and build the hardware company. So that's, we took the money and we kind of invested in starting to manufacture everything here that took off. So it's just, uh, yeah. Back but, to your question about the yeah, name. Well, that's, yeah. What happened when we, when we started making hardware and jewelry, we were all sell, we were selling it all on one website, Addison Weeks. What we realized was that there's a lot of overlap in the customers, but you know, we wanted to kind of roll in some of these collaborators and designers and we didn't necessarily want it to be all under Addison Weeks. We thought we could really scale this hardware business under a different name that was a little more, you know, Kobe, but come it, here. But it seems like, it seems like that you, like there's a sacrifice. You're giving something up. From the Addison Weeks name? Right. I mean, that's a value proposition, is it not? Particularly given the Oprah thing? I don't understand. Well, the, the Addison Weeks is still the jewelry. So oh, we still oh, have a okay. website okay. called Addison Weeks. Okay, all right. Okay. And then the Modern Matter now. And so it, it was this also is not kind of, either. And it was also kind of a mouthful. Like Barry Benson for Addison Weeks. It was like at, Barry Benson for Modern Matter. We kind of felt like Modern Matter could be an umbrella for hardware, for lighting someday, for I bath, accessories. We were just I kind of you. thinking it is a little more scalable than... Right. Um, and we can also track... The company separately, still a lot of the same manufacturers, and and if you ever decided, this is a lot. I want a life. Yeah. Um, you know, it's all about sort of brand loyalty and you know uh, the value of the brand, right. the value of the brand itself. Right. Yeah. Um, I could do this all day long, yeah. and just as. Um, but I have to I, go to the bus in 20 I, minutes. I value your time. So if we get struck by lightning today and the only thing that survives is this little piece of digital audio, what is your legacy? 
Well, is it too boring to say like my kids? Is that no, <laughs> because when people say that, I say, what do your kids represent to you? Like, what about your kids? Um, you know, oh, that's going to make me cry. I'm looking at a little picture of them up there. One of the things that I'm so proud of is that they get to see me love my job and they get to see me like inspired and create and they say, Mom, we want a job like you. We don't want a job like Dad where he has to go to like the bank and you know <laughs> you know, and it makes me as a woman, you know, and I hate to even bring that into it, but for them to see to, you know, to see me get up and go to work every day, to be pr to be proud of what I make and what I build, you know, they give their girlfriends, you know, their their girlfriends earrings, they, you know, they're interested, they they come in here and they work in the summer for me and they pack boxes and they're they're truly proud. That that to me, if I can leave them like wanting because we spend so much time at our jobs, you know, wanting them to love what they do and that's that would be enough for me. It sounds immensely satisfying. I love it. I mean I love it. Like it is both puts food on the table earns a very healthy income, and it's like, I did that. Yeah. Oh, I'm so proud. When people tag us on Instagrams, I'm like, oh, that looks, and to be able to see how people are being creative with our products, you know, because, yeah, it's a piece of hardware, it's a piece of metal, but they're using it, you know, in a design for their powder room that they've, you know, a designer is decorated or a, a homeowner is decorated, you know, they have a vision and they're using our products to complete that vision. It's just, it. it's kind of all rolled up in creativity and art, I guess. Oh my God, I, I admire you so much. I'm so inspired. Thank you. Cat Weeks, you are so good. Oh, I love to this. Make I this can talk time. forever. You are so good. It's Thanks like, so much. It's like therapy. Thank you. Just as an inspiring entrepreneur and business person, I selfishly, I wanted to hear all that stuff. Thank you, Kat, for making time. She is so busy. It's so hard to get in front of her. Um, if you want to see the hardware we were talking about, Modern Matters Hardware on Instagram is the easiest way. Modern Matters Hardware. If you want to see the jewelry, it's Addison Weeks also on Instagram, Addison Weeks. Thank you, Kat. Man Listening is a production of Unmediated LLC in cooperation with the Queen City Podcast Network and Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative and Rachel Clapp Miller are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins and Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Katherine Smith. That's me. Please go to our Patreon page. You'll find us at patreon.com. Look for Man Listening, one word, no spaces. We hope you'll join us by becoming a member. A small investment can raise up the conversation. If you want exclusive member merch, like a t-shirt, we can arrange that too. A big old shout out and a hug and a thank you to everyone who has supported and uplifted uh, man listening from the very beginning, through all the changes, all the COVID, all the craziness. Thank you so very much. Don't forget to support us at Patreon. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Thanks.